Earlier this month, at Susie Susan tweeted, after downloading the NPR One app, after being told to for the thousandth time by an NPR podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you, hashtag insert shamed face here. Don't wait like Susie did. NPR One's ready to make driving, cleaning the house, or your post-holiday escape better. Find NPR O-N-E on your app store. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Say what you will about last year. 2016, for all its ups and downs, was a great year for comedy. So when our team put their heads together to find the best comedy albums of 2016, it wasn't easy. It was a lot of good stuff. But after we listened to hours and hours and hours and hours of comedy records, we have done it. We have over a dozen comedians from all over this great nation. Folks like Cameron Esposito, Kyle Kinane, Tignataro, Kamau Bell, and many, many more. It's going to be a laugh riot. So funny that I am not embarrassed to have just said the phrase, it's going to be a laugh riot. Uh, one last thing before we get started. A disclaimer, we have bleeped out some swear words in these. But uh, if you don't want to hear bleeps or you've got kids in the car, um, you can't say we didn't warn you. Okay, let's do this. It's Bullseye. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. So the last time I talked on the show with Maria Bamford, it was a couple years ago, she'd just come out with one of the weirdest stand-up specials I'd ever seen. She called it the special, special, special. She did the whole thing in her living room, and the entire audience was her parents, just her mom and dad sitting there on the couch. Since then, she's gone on to much bigger things. She debuted her Netflix show, Lady Dynamite, Got a ton of praise from critics, and with good reason. It's really, really, really funny. I mean, I'm going to sit here and tell you, I have seen a lot of comedy. My favorite stand-up comedian in the world is Maria Bamford. Here she is on her new album, 20%. I've lived in Los Angeles for uh, so long that I've become violently positive. I am aggressively optimistic, and I was in a shop with another lady, and uh, she said... I've always wanted to open up like a little boutique like this, but like a gourmet deli. It's, it's already started happening, man. You just start adding, I am now a grocer. I am now purveying cookies, candies, cakes. I am, I now bag. I bag. I am now bagging. Yeah, it's, I, I have two kids, full-time job. It'd be pretty tough. I know it seems impossible, but it is insane how much the universe supports you. Like, pretty soon you'll be like, oh, my God, fruit could go there. And then, like, so, uh, and somebody say, you know what? You can have this crate of tuna. And then, um, then uh, well, let's say, act it out. Act it out. Okay. I'm your first customer. Hello. Is the, is the corn fresh? <laughs> and then you, you say, just, like, whatever comes to mind with and it's a corn fresh. Um, it's actually something I was just saying. I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't want to get into retail. <laughs> Open up your shop. 
real every passing fancy! <laughs> My husband is bearing the brunt of this unsolicited support. Uh, we're talking about Diana Nyad. She swam from Cuba to Florida, a thousand miles in open water without a shark cage. He said, oh man, I could never do that. I said, yes, you could. <laughs> Maria, she was an Olympic swimmer. She attempted five times. She almost died twice. I'm not a good swimmer. I also really don't want to do it. <laughs> just incrementally increase the times you spend in the tub. <laughs> you wouldn't even notice it was happening. Uh, I was wondering, I was like, God, why do I get so angry when anyone suggests that there are limits? And uh, <laughs> I think it is because I feel guilty that all of my dreams came true rather easily about 15 years ago. All I want to do is be a comedian on TV. And I'd like to think that was a result of hard work. But if you know me at all, you know that I'm sleepy and I cannot remember what you just told me. <laughs> uh, that leaves luck. And if you uh, listen to National Public Radio, you know that luck is just another way of saying some of us were born sliding into home base. Uh, I got a full ride scholarship through life up until the age of 22 by an organization called Joel and Marilyn Bamford. And um, I was talking to a group of high school students, and none of us knew why I was there. It was very confusing, not a little frightening. I was saying something extremely ill-advised, like, you could do anything you set your mind to, turtles. And a kid in the back said, um, you know, it's not that easy. <sighs> yeah? As you, as you say those things to yourself, just know what one individual managed to accomplish with a modicum of effort and every possible advantage. She's like an old baby. It's true. It's very true. Maria Bamford, the best. Her new album is called 20%. You can watch her show Lady Dynamite on Netflix and find her live tour dates at mariabamford.com. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's our 2016 end-of-the-year best comedy special. Our next comic, Chris Garcia. He's based here in Los Angeles, where we make the show. He got his start in San Francisco. He's been on TV a few times. I saw him recently on At Midnight. He was on a Last Call with Carson Daly on NBC. He's also been on This American Life and on WTF. Chris just released his first comedy album. It's called Laughing and Crying at the Same Time. The cover is one of the best in comedy album history. Uh, it is basically a tribute to the back cover of Paul McCartney's first solo record, like a pitch-perfect tribute. Google it. Anyway, here's a bit from Laughing and Crying at the Same Time and Chris Garcia. The uh, Cuban? Where are, my, where are my Cubans at? In Florida. Okay. 
speak Spanish, I'm Cuban, I'm very proud of it. Um, a lot of comedians these days get on stage and they make fun of their immigrant parents, you know, and I think it's kind of played out. It's a little overdone, it's a little cheap. Especially if you think about anyone here have immigrant parents? Yeah. Where are your parents from? India. India, nice. So you know everything they endured to get here, you know? And I don't like how comics make fun of that. Our parents, they left a situation, okay? They said goodbye. They waved goodbye to their families. They come to the United States with no money. They don't know the language. They don't have a job. They have a kid. That kid is a comedian. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not the American dream. They've suffered enough. That kid has the stones to get on stage and make fun of them for pronouncing it yak in the box. <laughs> Or Yambayus or D-A-S-E-F? <laughs> that is not okay. It's also not fair. It's like my dad doesn't have any recourse. The dude works so hard. He doesn't get on stage and on me. You know what I mean? My dad doesn't get up here. He's not like, hey, you guys! Anybody have an American-born kid? Okay, I'm going to talk about it. Oh, man. My son, Christian, he goes by Chris. <laughs> what a bitch, man. I can't believe this guy, man, getting on stage. Oh, la wamba, la wamba, soccer is crazy. He doesn't look like he speaks Spanish. He looks like he works at Trader Joe's. I can't believe it, man. Me and his mom, Matico, we came from Cuba in our 30s, okay? We got jobs, blue-collar jobs. Factory jobs, graveyard shift. We got it, we put them to school. We paid for tutors. We invested everything in him. He goes to UC Berkeley for college. One of the best public universities in the whole world. And he studies poetry? <laughs> poetry! Are you telling me? I floated through shark infested waters. your next comedian <laughs> Greece's mom <laughs> my big guy get over here it's comedy time okay I'm coming okay <laughs> uh, hi everybody hello um, uh, God bless you okay. I have to say God bless you uh, Chris is a very sweet boy he's a very sensitive a little bit of a crybaby. Um, he needs to eat more. He needs to eat a lot more. If you see him, tell him to eat more. Uh, he needs to drink less. He needs to pray a lot. And honestly, he's kind of a bitch, you guys. Chris Garcia from his album, Laughing and Crying at the Same Time. Find out when to see him live on his website, chrisgarciacomedy.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're just kicking off our 2016 end-of-year comedy special. Hari Kondabolu 
is a stand-up comedian born and raised in Queens, New York. In 2014, his first album was called by a bunch of people, one of the best comedy records of the year. He's been on The Late Show, on Jimmy Kimmel, all over everywhere. He also co-hosts the podcast Politically Reactive with our friend W. Kamau Bell. Here's Hari Kondabolu from his 2016 album, Mainstream American Comic. When exactly did Halloween turn into racist Christmas? When did that happen? <laughs> when did we decide it was okay to wear blackface and geisha costumes without getting slapped? Like, when did that happen? The newest thing I've noticed recently the last few years is white people wearing, like, Native American headdresses, right? To be fair, it's not just white people. It's also people of color uh, who've chosen their side. Uh, <laughs> in the race war. So it'll be like headdresses and face paint and vests and moccasins. It's not even just one tribe. It's like a Mr. Potato Head of indigenous cultures mixed and matched like they don't mean anything. What bothers me the most is that if you're going to do an impression of Native Americans, at least do it right by being unjustifiably killed at the end. Make it your last Halloween. I know some people didn't like that in Portland because they were like, oh, no, two Halloweens ago. No, no. <laughs> he wants to kill my boyfriend. <laughs> There's no minority to check us, no. <laughs> so I was telling a friend my feelings about cultural appropriation and headdresses in particular. And my friend's like, well, hurry to play devil's advocate. A white man invented basketball, and when I last checked, mostly black people play it, so why can't I wear a headdress? Genocide. That's why you can't wear a headdress. Genocide. First of all, why do people want to play devil's advocate, right? It's basically a phrase that you could hide behind to say whatever you want to say and pretend you're being objective, right? More importantly, why does the devil need an advocate? He's the devil. Why does the prince of darkness need your help? Like, what are you telling me is happening here exactly? Like, hey, Steve, it's me, the devil. I need your help right now. See that woman over there that's saying men and women should be paid equally in the workforce? Well, I want you to tell her on my behalf that she should shut the because women take maternity leave that costs companies money so she should shut up tell her that on my behalf that is not what's happening here it's just something you could hide behind so you don't look as bad which is weird because how doesn't it make you look bad to hide behind the devil no Steve's not a he just does Satan's bidding that's all Hari Kondabolu, from his 2016 record, Mainstream American Comic. You can find out how to see him live on his website, harikondabolu.com. He'll be performing as part of the Bullseye Comedy Night at BAM in Brooklyn, February 11th. You can find a link to buy tickets at our website, MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's our best comedy of 2016 special. Our next comic, Cameron Esposito. She's originally from Chicago. She lives in L.A. now with her wife, also a great comic, Rhea Butcher. The two-star in the CISO show, Take My Wife, just got picked up for a second season. 
when I interviewed Cameron and Rhea about the show, Cam told me how challenging and how amazing it was to work nearly full-time with her spouse. Here's Cameron Esposito on her 2016 album, Marriage Material. So we're getting married on Saturday. Yeah, I am stoked. I am stoked. Because my fiance is awesome. She's got so many skills that I don't have. I don't, I, she can, you guys, the other day she changed the headlight on my car and I didn't even know you could do that <laughs> with your hand. I didn't know, how can you, what? Something on my car is broken. I usually just abandon it. I've lost two, three cars that way. <laughs> we walked into our friend's house the other day. She, like, out of the corner of her eye, she just eyeballs their doorknobs, and she goes, oh, those are on backwards. <laughs> but then our friends go, oh, yeah, our doors don't close. So... My fiance went to our house and she got her toolkit and she came back and she fixed the doors and I was left with a bunch of burning questions. Number one, uh, what do you mean doorknobs could be on backwards? Because what do you, t I thought it was the same, I thought it was like a Tegan and Sarah situation. And then number two, I guess like the, two, the second biggest question I have is just uh, how relaxed are our friends? <laughs> They're just like, oh, our doors don't close, but like it hasn't been like really come up as like we're not worried about it. <laughs> Two years, that's how long it took my fiance and I to set a date from the day we got engaged. Two years. That whole time we were just stalemating trying to figure out which one was the step up <laughs> and be the wife and plan the damn thing. So we've thrown all convention out the window. We're gonna slip and slide down the aisle. This sounds the Furious 7 soundtrack. <laughs> it's gonna be a great wedding. Actually, let me be, this is 100% real. And I haven't said this on stage before. This is real. Two days ago, we went to get our marriage license and I'm feeling better now. Thank you guys so much for asking. I'm feeling better now, but I had a touch of the stomach flu, and so we went in to the Cook County Re Recorder of Vital Deeds, I believe is what that person is called, and applied for a marriage license, and the wave of nausea that hit me <laughs> was perfectly timed so that the person at the counter had all of my information and was about to give us our marriage license, and then I was like, I'm so And I had to run out of the room and also shed clothes. Cause like, when you're in that zone, like any amount, it's just too hot. <laughs> so I was like tearing my clothes off, running out of there, going like covering my mouth, which I think is not what you're, how you're supposed to look <laughs> at that blissful moment. <laughs> I'm so excited all this. But here's the best thing. Like, I had stripped down to, like, basically a T-shirt, and I was, like, leaned over a trash can right outside the Daily Center. <laughs> and my fiancé 
was like comforting me and holding a mar like a visible marriage license. <laughs> so like, like what, ha like no, like this is a whole tableau. And then a dude walks by and he goes like, do you know where the Washington L platform is? <laughs> My fiance was like, I don't know, no. But meanwhile, we do. It's just like, it wasn't a great time. But I want to know what was up in that guy's, like, how... Sometimes I, like, wonder what it's like to be a dude. Because I feel like sometimes if you're a dude, you didn't... Your noticing skills... <laughs> didn't develop all the way. You put the seeds on the chia, but you forgot to water them. Cause this guy's just walking by a vomiting naked person and somebody who, like trying to get that person to marry them. And he's like, oh, these lesbians will know. Like, you know, it's like, I get that we're a helpful people, but like there is a limit. Social work, nursing, those are our typical jobs, but not Cameron Esposito, you can hear the latest about what she's up to on her website, CameronEsposito.com. Her show on CISO, Take My Wife, just got picked up for a second season. Congratulations, Cameron and Rhea. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's our annual special, The Best Comedy of the Year. Next up, we've got Aparna Nancherla. She's been on Conan. She's been on At Midnight. She's a writer for Seth Meyers' show on NBC. She's also one of my favorite stand-up comics. Here she is on her album, Just Putting It Out There. Uh, so people get into comedy for a lot of different reasons, you know, mostly to escape your past. And uh, I feel like I did things a little differently. Like I got into comedy to p pursue my real dream, which is to do temporary administrative support in an office. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for believing in me. Uh, I have been blessed to have worked in many offices, and I realized my main regret is I've never done this. I wish just one time when I'd been sitting in, like, a tense company meeting, I'd stood up in the middle of it, apropos of nothing, and gone, I think the bigger issue here is I can't read. <laughs> and then just walked out. And I was like, who was that? Does she even work here? Shouldn't give her a hard time. She can't read. She's got enough on her plate. Offices are such awkward places. I don't even think that's the most awkward thing that's happened in one. Like, I've tempted a lot. Any temps in the audience? Okay. Well, you know, we're all temps in the general sense. Uh, so that's fine. I, I, temp jobs are weird. One time I tempted a place for a year, and when I was leaving, they had me train my permanent replacement, which I found very silly because why would, why would you have your least invested employee educate your hopes and dreams for the future? <laughs> like as a temp, your best work attitude is just, fine, I'll do it. Like that's you on a great day. 
So it was unavoidable when my boss was just like, show Megan, the new girl, how to use the fax machine. I would just do something like this where I was just like, Well, well, what I usually do is uh, I throw toner in my eyes. <laughs> and I make it look like an accident. <laughs> and then I just keep pressing nine until someone tells me to go home. <laughs> it's really easy, you'll get the hang of it. When's lunch? <laughs> Been on lunch since they hired me. <laughs> Gonna need tougher questions, Megan. <laughs> Is that your real name? Change it. <laughs> Change it. <laughs> anyway, if you need anything else, I have to do what I do every day at 2 o'clock, which is uh, put white out all over my face. <laughs> Crash a board meeting full of suits and go race. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Came here to make a difference. Validate my own parking. <laughs> Offices are so odd. I feel like every office I worked in, when I start, I'm like, oh, I'm a pretty nice person. And then every time I leave that job, I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm a murderer. I just haven't found the right opportunity yet, but I'm definitely a murderer. I just feel like humans aren't meant to work in such close, confined environments together. Like, uh, offices always, it's like someone sneezes one time and you're like, ah, oh, gesundheit, God bless you, go with Buddha or whatever you believe in that day. But then whenever people sneeze three or more times, it's like, get your life together, Susan. You're ruining this for everyone. <laughs> Aparna Nancharla. If you like what you heard, you want to hear more of it, she's got a bunch of tour dates coming up. Just go to aparnacomedy.com, A-P-A-R-N-A comedy.com, to see if she's coming to a town near you. She is also just peerlessly funny on Twitter. You can follow her at Aparnapkin, A-P-A-R-N-A-P-K-I-N. More of the best comedy of 2016 after a short break. We've got Tig Notaro, Matt Besser, much, much more. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, everyone. A quick mention for Doctors Without Borders, who brings you the following message. Right now, Doctors Without Borders fields teams who are on the ground in more than 60 countries providing life-saving medical care to people affected by armed conflict, epidemics, natural and man-made disasters, and exclusion from the healthcare system. As an independent humanitarian organization, Doctors Without Borders goes where others don't to care for those most in need. Learn more at doctorswithoutborders.ngo. As the year winds down, NPR podcasts are popping up on best of 2016 lists from iTunes, The New York Times, Vulture, and more. When you're ready for a break, find the good stuff on the NPR One app or visit npr.org slash podcasts. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just tuning in, you're participating in one of Bullseye's proudest annual traditions. 
our end-of-the-year comedy special with the best of 2016 in stand-up. Next up, Baron Vaughn. Baron played Bud on Netflix's Grace and Frankie. He was on the USA show Fairly Legal. He's been on Girls. His latest album, Black Existential Crisis, came out this past October. It's great stand-up, kind that makes anything, literally anything, funny, even food allergies. I have some weird-ass allergies. Last year was the year of my weird-ass allergies. Uh, I'm allergic to dairy. Allergic to dairy. I'm not lactose intolerant. It's not, oh, I had pizza, now I'm going fart. I mean, six months ago, I accidentally had butter, and my throat swole up to the point I could not breathe. They call it anaphylactic shock, and by they, I mean the doctor in the ER. And she prescribed me an EpiPen, which I keep near if I go out to eat because no one seems to know what dairy is. No professional person who works at a restaurant, no server, no chef seems to understand what dairy is. I keep having the same conversation. Can't have dairy, not because I'm cute, but because it might kill me. Ooh, what about eggs? Eggs are not dairy, but it's from a farm. Dairy is from a cow. Ooh, what about asparagus? That's a vegetable. Ooh, what about arsenic? That's literally a poison. Ooh, what about arsenic and old lace? That's a play. Ooh, what about the crucible? Different play. Ooh, what about man ray? That's a visual artist. Ooh, what about Ray Manzarek? He's from the doors. Like, nobody knows what dairy is. And also, I'm so allergic to pollen that I'm allergic to weed. I'm allergic to weed in 2016 where you can get legal marijuana quicker than it takes to remember marijuana means weed. <laughs> so if I want to get high now, guess what I got to do? Take a Benadryl. <laughs> I'm a cool uncle and no one had to have a baby. Just got to slip myself a few bennies if I want to hang out with the Jets. You guys know what I'm talking about. You read it in a magazine. So yeah, dairy and pollen, eating and breathing have become so dangerous in my life. I actually stopped calling my allergies my allergies because that's a really wimpy name for something that might kill you out of nowhere. So I now call them my police because they might take me out in a way where people will react with, well, why were you outside that day? Like that's how people might react to my imminent death. Okay. Not sorry you feel racially awkward right now. Because that's how I wake up every single day. Just black again, hope I make it. Police are out and it's already skin 30. Um. Baron Vaughn from his new album, Black Existential Crisis. For show dates and more, check out his website, baronvaughn.com. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's the 2016 Bullseye End of Year Best Comedy Special. Our next comic is Rhea Butcher. Rhea's a stand-up. She's an actor. She stars with her wife, Cameron Esposito, on the new CISO show, Take My Wife. You might have heard Cameron a little earlier on in the show. Take My Wife is a sort of realistic, very honest look at their relationship, uh, at their relationship to the comedy world in L.A. and more. And when I talked with her just a couple months ago, she told me that that wasn't the original idea at all, that the network wanted basically a stand-up showcase. But writing about something so personal, like marriage, just made more sense. 
Here's Rhea Butcher on her 2016 album, Butcher. I'm sure you can't tell by my rock-a-doodle haircut. <laughs> my off-duty lesbian tractor mechanic outfit that I wear. <laughs> but it did take me a while to come out to my family, you know, I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, I'm from Ohio originally. I like to call that the thinking man's Indiana. fun place. Being from Ohio, a lot of my family are hillbillies. You may be wondering, how hillbilly could you possibly be? You know that phrase, shooting fish in a barrel? I've done that. It is not as easy as you think. But I think the biggest reason that it took me a while to come out to my family uh, is that my parents have been divorced my entire life. I was born in August of 1982. And they were divorced in September of 1982. I like to think I had a little hand in that. Just a little tiny baby hand. Very small. Tiny. And my dad, he would serve me dinner. He would feed me my dinner on a weight bench that he didn't use anymore. And I know this seems very sad and depressing, but it made me the strong lesbian that I am today, so. <laughs> I'm also an only child. That's a little bit about me. Are there any only children here? A couple of us, we're not alone. We did it, we made it out. I love being an only child because it's like the only identity that you can have that somebody tells you, oh, you don't seem like that is, <laughs> It's the only time that you can say like, oh, you don't seem like an only child. And you're like, yes! <laughs> only identity! And then only children like to tell each other that too, I've noticed. Somebody told me that the other day. I was like, really? I don't seem like an only child? Are you an only child? Yes! Oh, well. <laughs> you don't understand how the world works. I just yell all the time because nobody told me to stop. <laughs> I love being an only child. I didn't have to share my He-Mans or my She-Ras or my My Pal 2 or my My Buddy or my My Pet Monster. None of it. But there is this one, like, genre of toys. It's very rough for only children. And that is board games. Which, no matter how much my family knew I was an only child, they consistently purchased board games for me every Christmas, every birthday, and as they handed it to me, we're like, I'm not playing this with you. <laughs> so I'd like to share with you guys my top three worst board games for being an only child. Number three, Hungry Hungry Hippos. Number two is Twister. Oh, well, I win again. It's another one for me. And the number one worst board game for being an only child is Don't Wake Daddy. 
because he doesn't live here anymore. That one's a twofer. It's a twofer. My runner-up is Clue. Because it was me. Right here. Rhea Butcher. If you live in L.A., you can see her and her wife Cameron live every Tuesday at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Their show's called Put Your Hands Together. You can find more information about her album and her tour dates at RheaButcher.com. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's our best comedy of the year special, our next comic, Tig Notaro. Tig's been on our show a couple times. When I talked with her a couple of years ago, she'd been living with cancer for about two years. She told me how that changed her approach to comedy. And changed her career. She announced it on stage, sort of unexpectedly even to herself, at Largo in Los Angeles. Since that time, she was on Maria Bamford's Lady Dynamite. She's got a show called One Mississippi that she created with Diablo Cody now. She also has a recurring role on Amazon's Transparent. Here's some comedy from her album, Boyish Girl Interrupted. I love everybody's little laugh noises. My favorite laugh noise is um, the sigh after the laugh. The Because it's like you're reminiscing about one second ago. second ago? <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. Yeah. My other favorite laugh noise is the pig snort. You know, when somebody's just really enjoying themselves and then... <laughs> Because I'm always curious, is that something they decided to do? Like a calculated decision? Or are they just as surprised as we are? When a pig snort flies out of their face. I like to think it's the other option. Where they're just like, you know what? I have been laughing and smiling and clapping all night, but I still feel like she doesn't get how much I get her. I think I'm going to go ahead and snort like a pig. Yeah, this uh, story she's telling, this is actually one of my favorites. I was telling, oop, hold on one second. <laughs> Love your stuff. My dream situation is actually that at the end of the night, when the lights go on, that there is an actual pig in the audience. 
just out on the town, pantless, <laughs> clanking its little cloven hooves together, sitting on its little curly cue. Comes up to me at the end of the night. Hey, um, that was me. I, uh, I can't laugh, so I snort. Sure, I can talk. But, uh, and I wanted to say I really like that part earlier when you were talking about having little pigs on your pants. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to keep you. I just, I really just wanted to say, I just wanted to say pig fan, pig fan. Boston, that's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm just up here being a ham, and I... I I'm sorry, that's, that is, that's too much, you're right. <laughs> too many puns eventually becomes a bore, and I don't want to... Don't shake your head at me. I will reimburse you, I am sorry. Tig Notaro from her latest record, Boyish Girl Interrupted. If you want to catch Tig live, and I absolutely cannot recommend that enough... Find some tour dates at tignation.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're doing something a little different this week. We're playing for you some of the best stand-up comedy from 2016. Next up, Matt Besser. He's one of the four original founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade, of course. So when you talk about Matt's influence on comedy today, frankly, it's hard to overstate it. Matt has a new album out. It's called Besser Breaks the Record. In it, he literally tries to break the record for most jokes told in one minute. He's also a big fan of reading letters to the editor. Anyway, here's Matt Besser on his latest album, Besser Breaks the Record. How many crossword puzzle enthusiasts do we have here? Yeah, yeah. So these next letters I'm going to read are about crossword puzzles. Back in the 90s in Chicago on the Tribune. They changed from a glossy format with the Sunday magazine. No, sorry. They changed from a pulp paper format in the Sunday magazine to a glossy format. Now, why would that matter to crossword puzzle people? Do you know? Smears. They all said it. The crossword pe people. They, know, they all went smears. Smears. Most of us don't care. Crossword people, they hated this. They were so upset that in the letters to the editor section of the Chicago Sunday uh, Tribune, it went on for six months. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating, and I will prove it by reading some of them. Okay. I missed the first letter. I never did get that one. I cut up the second week. But the first letter was from a woman named B. Davis. Remember that name, B. Davis. That'll come back. <laughs> this is the first letter, or this is the second letter. I have a suggestion for B. Davis, who has a problem using a pencil when solving puzzles on the paper that is now being used for the magazine. There's no reason, unless your puzzle is to be graded for neatness, that a pen cannot be used. Try it! Just write over your mistakes. Who cares anyway? Jane Hiley, Michigan City, Indiana. No. Oh, thank you, Jane. This is the next week. Regarding B. Davis's problem with using a pencil on crossword puzzles, use an erasable ballpoint pen. Walter Kroll, Aurora. Okay, makes sense. Not what Jane said, but okay. 
The next week, another one. I have another suggestion for B. Davis, who has a problem using a pencil and solving puzzles on the paper now being used by the magazine. A sharp black china marker shows up very well. It can be erased very cleanly with a soft rubber eraser. Try it. You'll like it. Bob Erdman, Chicago. Those are great suggestions. So I decided to get in on the act on the fourth week. Here's another suggestion for those who don't like using pencils when working crossword puzzles on a new paper now being used by the magazine. Use thick soup, i.e. black bean, pea, and even gazpacho. And apply it with a Q-tip. If you need to erase, just let the soup dry and scrape it off with a new razor blade. It works! Matt Besser, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted was applause from the, the letters to the editor section, but instead of applause, what did I get? I got a editor's note. Editor's note underneath my letter. Editor's note. We did not test this, but our suspicion is the writer has his tongue firmly lodged in his cheek. And I did not get a fact check call, by the way. Okay, I'm mad, okay? Okay. So the next week... Uh, another woman wrote in. I think I have a pretty good solution to the shiny paper and crossword puzzle. An eraser mate ballpoint pen does the job very well, better than soup anyway. <laughs> Kay Reining, McHenry, Illinois. Oh, really, Kay? Oh, really, Kay? Is the eraser mate ballpoint pen better than soup, Kay? Well, guess what? Walter Kroll from Aurora suggested that three weeks ago. <laughs> So I wrote in the next week. <laughs> this letter is in response to the editor's note under my recent letter. My letter was a sincere suggestion and you implied it was sarcastic. You might as well call me a liar. My grandmother, who was raised in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas, taught me to use household items to solve problems inexpensively. I'm sorry I tried helping out in the first place. Matt Besser, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not going to read all these letters. Like I said, they went on for six months. But I want to read... I want to read one that was very interesting to me. And you might want to take note. How to erase while working on the crossword puzzle. Here's my formula for success. Get... Write this down. Get one Eberhard Faber, number 6325, ebony jet black, extra smooth pencil, available at art supply stores, one pencil eraser, and one square of fine-grade sandpaper cut into small squares. The eraser can be cleaned quickly on sandpaper to prevent smudging. Works 100%. Ebony pencils are not sold with erasers on the end. B. Davis, Chicago. <laughs> original problem is now writing in with a solution? <laughs> this is a conspiracy by the eraser pencil big money. Matt Besser from his 2016 album, Besser Breaks the Record. You can see Besser live at the UCB Theater in Los Angeles pretty regularly. He hosts the podcast Improv for Humans. You can also catch him on CISO in the UCB show. Its second season kicks off January 12th. More of 2016's best comedy coming up. Still to come, Kyle Kinane, W. Kamau Bell, and more. It's going to be fun. Stay tuned. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Care.com, who wants you to know that if you paid $2,000 or more a year for a nanny, then you're responsible for nanny taxes. Care.com slash homepay is a comprehensive resource for busy families that can handle all of your employer payroll obligations, from setting up automatic payments to preparing tax returns. Go to Care.com slash homepay to learn more and get a free consultation. You know that feeling you get when you listen to Bullseye and you think, wow, my universe just expanded a little bit. Well, we just want to say we get it. We're really grateful for the time that you've spent listening. Now is a great time to say thanks by supporting your local NPR stations. Go to stations.npr.org, find your local station, donate a few bucks, and tell them that Bullseye sent you. Again, that's stations.npr.org. You know, I'm a member of my local NPR station, and I'm grateful that I am. It's easy. Go ahead. Anyway, thanks. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. We'll have more for you from our 2016 end-of-year comedy special. But first, have you heard about Pop Rocket? It's Bullseye's sister show, a weekly roundtable discussion of everything we love and hate about culture, hosted by the brilliantly funny Guy Branham. Hey, Guy. What's popping on Pop Rocket this week? Hey, Jesse. This week on Pop Rocket, we are talking about reboots because we have a brand new panelist, uh, Karen Tongson. We're talking about reboots uh, like Star Wars or Star Trek. Uh, we're talking about uh, shows that got an extra dose of life like uh, Cheers getting Kirstie Alley. So listen to it, please. I will. Guy Branham, host of Pop Rocket. Find it wherever you get podcasts. And by the way, while you're looking for great comedy, Guy Branham's album Effable was part of our Best of 2015 list. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're doing something a little different this week. We're playing for you some of the best stand-up comedy from 2016. Next up, Riley Silverman. This was recorded at 2016's Max FunCon. It's a yearly gathering that we at MaximumFun.org put on. Three whole days of nonstop comedy, education, and friendship. Easily one of my favorite performers from this past year was Riley. She's a writer for International Waters, another podcast produced by Max Fun. She lives here in Los Angeles, and she is a terrific stand-up. Riley's also trans. It comes up a lot in her comedy. I'm going to tell you guys, here's how much I trust you all at Max FunCon. I hate wearing pants on stage. It is the absolute worst thing for me to do. Uh, well, just probably worst things, but in this moment. But I trust you all enough that it's, and it's cold out also. That's the second part of that. Because uh, I feel like I have been on hormones for over a year now. I've been out as trans since 07 uh, or 09, whatever. Uh, thank you. Um, I feel like the second I put on pants, the percentage amount of times that I get called a dude goes up to 1,000% more times. I don't know. That's the exact math, which is weird because I'm pretty sure – like, I haven't checked the numbers on it, but it is 2016. I'm pretty sure women can wear pants, right? That's a thing. <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, people don't know. It's like the second I put on pants, like, oh, did you give it all up? Like, yeah, that's how that works. That's, uh, that's how. See, I got a really bad haircut last November. I was trying to grow my hair out, and I went into a salon, and I told the lady, I'm like, hey, I'm growing my hair out. I'm transitioning. Just take, like, an inch off. It's all I want. And what she heard was, I am definitely a dude. Cut off all my hair. 
So that happened, and then I, I, my, I started wearing wigs for like a month, and I hate wearing wigs because people, they just, they're uncomfortable, they don't look real, whatever, and friends would always like try to tell me I should wear them. They'd be like, you know what, you ought to wear a wig, because if you did, the people would see your longer hair, and they would look at you, and they would get what you're trying to present to the world. And I'm like, oh, is that the thing? <laughs> is that the one move I'm not doing that's going to bring it all together? You're telling me two more inches right here. I'm on the cover of Vanity Fair. That's what's going to happen? All right. Let's not see that happen anytime soon. I like staying. I like doing gigs where they put you up. This is nice. I did a gig one time uh, on a road. I did a road gig one time in a town called Smith Station, Alabama, where I wore pants. And uh, part of the deal, not, not for the reasons I did here tonight. That was not a trust issue that night. <laughs> Uh, I did this gig, and part of the deal when you're on the road doing comedy is you get paid in, like, not quite enough money and then a hotel room. Like, that's, like, the deal. And we did this gig, and the other comic booked it. And he was like, hey, I told them for our hotel, we don't need anything fancy. Just give us a place that we can lay our heads. And then they took him as literally as possible. <laughs> because we found out later they had booked us into the town meth den of Smith Station, Alabama. Yeah, they basically put us into that house from Breaking Bad with a sad kid in the ATM machine. <laughs> it's not pleasant. So then we go to check into the room, and I realize immediately, I'm like, I cannot stay in this hotel. I'm a bit of a diva. It says so inside my pants. Um, it's, a, it's a label. But, like, I... Like, I, there's certain things, like, I like to have certain things at a hotel. I like to have coffee pot. Okay, if you don't have that, I can live without it. You can go to a gas station and get coffee. But one thing I learned in Alabama that I will always insist for now on that my hotel room have, and that is a door. <laughs> I did not know that was something I had to specify that I wanted. I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience of having to complain to the front desk at a motel that there is not a door attached to your room. <laughs> you will not be prepared to have that conversation because it makes no sense. I think we can all agree that when it comes to the hotel arrangement, door is actually more important than bed. <laughs> Why do I believe that? What do they give you when you check into a hotel? not a pillow. There's a key, right? They give you a key, right? Can you agree with me? That is a gentleman's agreement that there is going to be something to put that key in when you get to the room. It's not some weird ass hotel metaphor when I'm like, welcome to the hotel. Here's your key. Now unlock your destiny. So I go to complain to the woman. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt your Netflix, but, uh, I just want to let you know there's not a door attached to my room. And she stopped, and she looked at me with her good eye, and, uh, and she goes, oh, come on. Like, I'm just wasting her time now at this point, like, again with the door. And she looks at me, and she goes, come on. I mean, none of them going to take your stuff. So you're telling me you went out there and you asked all of them? And they and all agree that none of them are going to take my stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe them. Because at least one of them took the door.
Riley Silverman, recorded live at Max FunCon. If you'd like to be there next time, we're doing two Max FunCons in 2017, one in Lake Arrowhead, June 9th through 11th, and the other Max FunCon East out in the Poconos, September 1st through 3rd, 2017. You can find more information at maxfuncon.com. It's Bullseye's Best Comedy of the Year special. I'm Jesse Thorne. W. Kamau Bell hosted Totally Biased on FX. These days, he hosts CNN's United Shades of America. He's the father of a young girl, and needless to say, that comes up on stage sometimes. From his newest album, Semi-Prominent Negro, here's W. Kamau Bell. And, you know, and there's other things that they're not going to teach them at, uh, at preschool. There's things that as a parent you have to sort of like, I found I have to get ahead of and sort of talk to my four-year-old about things that I'm not even prepared to talk about. But I feel like I just want to get there first and talk to her first. Because <laughs> I feel like as a parent, I feel like even if my knowledge is up, I just want to know what her first knowledge came from so that I can like fix it later. You know what I mean? Like I just don't want her to learn stuff. Like, like here's a weird thing. Like, during the Caitlyn Jenner thing, that whole new story, I was like, oh man, I got to talk to my daughter about transgender people but I don't know that much about transgender people <laughs> but I feel like I, I don't know where she's going to get that knowledge otherwise so I guess I got to sit her down and I was like how am I going to do this I guess I'll just wait till she brings it up you know <laughs> I sort of wait like because my daughter's already at the age where she genderizes things and talks about boys do this and girls do this like they already kids start to do that naturally I guess or because they're and it sort of sucks because sometimes you're like no, some boys do that, but some girls do it too. It really depends on the person, and you don't don't want to you don't want to just say everybody. And so I was waiting for her to do something like that. And so one time she was like, "Boys like to fight more than girls." I was like, "That is true. That's true." <laughs> I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but that's true a hundred percent of the time. So, but since you bring it up, uh, gender, uh. You know, some boys, when they're born, we may regard them to be boys, but they know on the inside that they're girls. And so we have to be good at just accepting that one day one of your friends who's a boy might say, no, I'm a girl, and I want you to address me with a... They teach you about pronouns yet? Uh, (laughs) Female pronouns. And some of the boy who is a girl may actually... What's the kid word for transition? May actually... (laughs) decide to transmogrify I don't know to be a tub you know may grow hair or just feminize gender's an illusion it's really like RuPaul has a good quote I can't remember right now but it's just a big spectrum and we just have to accept that if somebody says they are something that you just trust that they know what they're talking about and even if it confuses you well the world wasn't really created to individually protect our feelings we have to protect everybody's feelings as a whole so it's just sort of about what it is. And uh, do you have an email address? I could email you the articles I read. It's like, I was down the rabbit hole. But even with my stumbling speech, she was like, okay, Dada, can we watch Doc McStuffins now? I was like, yes, we can do that. Let's watch that. Doc will probably cover this eventually. But I realized in that moment, we have all this protection around kids. What are we going to tell the kids? How are we going to explain this to the kids? How can we tell the kids about... You know what? You can tell kids anything because they don't know anything. See how that works? You can tell kids anything. They're, they're just a computer just waiting to be updated. They just what? I don't know nothing. Tell me. Do you realize I saw this? My daughter went to a birthday party with a bunch of four-year-olds, it was a, and they had a magician. Four-year-olds don't get magic because they don't know enough to be amazed by magic. Do you understand? <laughs> They're like, the rabbit was here, now it's here. Okay, I guess that's how it works. <laughs> they don't know enough to be, whoa! 
Like, you can tell them anything. You just got to give them good files and good information and keep updating the software. I mean, for like two months, I had my daughter convinced when we watched Netflix that when her TV show ended, you know how there's like a 20-second countdown? I had her convinced that it, it wasn't the 20-second countdown that made the next episode come on. It was me standing in front of TV going, I convinced her I had magic Netflix hands for two months. And so I'd, I'd be out of the room and be like, Dada, make the next episode come on with your magic Netflix hands. I'd be like, I got this, honey. Yay! Dada's magic Netflix hands. For like two months. And then she even figured out that she could do it herself. I'd be in the other room making dinner, or, and, our, and I'd hear the episode in, and I'd walk in the room, and she'd be in front of the TV like, nye, 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 nye. and I'd be like, I don't want you to watch the next episode. Nye, 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 nye. And it was like Emperor Palpatine. Ah, ah. And she won every time when she thinks she can kick my ass already. It's great. You know? But then, you know, it just only lasted for two months because she's not dumb. So one day the episode didn't, I went, nye, 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 nye. she went, Dad, that's the numbers counting down. I was like, oh. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> w. Kamau Bell from his 2016 comedy record, Semi-Prominent Negro. So named, probably, specifically to make me uncomfortable saying its name on NPR. You can catch Kamau on CNN, on his podcast with Hari Kondabalu, who you heard earlier on on the show, or catch Kamau live. Just go to wkamaubell.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're doing something a little different on this week's show. It's the best stand-up comedy of 2016. Our next comic, Emily Maya Mills. She lives here in L.A. You've seen her on TV shows like Orange is the New Black, Comedy Bang Bang, Parks and Recreation. In her stand-up act, she's been called the next Carol Burnett. But like a lot of comedians, she didn't get into the business to make giant wads of cash. Here she is talking about that on her debut album, By a Thread. Oh, man. I know you guys are like, but you're a comedian. Where are all your jewels? Um, (laughs) If I added up all the money I've made doing stand-up comedy (laughs) and divided it by the shows I've done, I would have made negative chicken wings. (laughs) I would owe all of you chicken wings right now. (laughs) I'd owe somebody in here chicken wings for sure. But somehow I get by, you know? Who knew it was possible even to cobble together an acting career playing bit parts as ladies barely holding on by a thread? (laughs) That's a type. You're looking at it. (laughs) This one right here, it's not easy, you know? I spent a lot of time at the hair salon getting my perfectly coiffed, don't touch my son hairdo that I got (laughs) got going on. When I go to the salon, I say, can you give me the, keep your hands off my son? (laughs) They know what I mean. (laughs) Do it right every time. But you know, there's one type I've realized that I will never go out for. Uh, There's a specific role type called the memory of a dead wife in a movie. You don't know who I'm talking about? It's a very specific lady. <laughs> it's not this at all. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like, if you aren't familiar, she's sort of just a walking wet dream with rosebud lips and a super clean purse with no hard-boiled eggs in it or whatever. <laughs> Somehow we know that. <laughs> and she's always, like, getting ready for a gala. <laughs> Sweetheart, would you sit me up? 
<laughs> oh no, my earring, cling, cling, cling. Always losing earrings. Like, you should hang on to those. Something bad's gonna happen. Oh no, my earring, cling, cling, cling. Oh no, my earring, cling, cling, cling. Oh no, my earring, cling. Oh no, the cancer, Poof, And she just turns to dust from the inside. It's always so tragic and sudden, you know? Very unrealistic. The, the other one is like when she's at a beach and she's got a bed sheet for some reason. She's just like, John. John. Are you videotaping stuff? Oh, sweetheart. I love you. I'm always cast as a lady driving the speedboat. You know what I mean? It's just... Has anybody seen my son? I'm sorry. Sorry about your wife. I just have to apologize to anybody uh, in here who might have a bumper sticker on their car that says, well-behaved women seldom make history. Is that anyone? Um, on my way in here, I got real inspired and I punched out all your windows and pissed on your seats. I'm sorry. <sighs> you guys like impressions? Too bad. We're on the train. <laughs> all right. <laughs> this is my impression of a birth mother. Stick with me. Recently reunited with the child she gave up for adoption. Hang on. <laughs> Uh, trying to break the ice with some your mama jokes. Here we go. All right. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I knew this day would come. Oh, my goodness. What do I say? Uh, I got a joke. <laughs> so, um, your mama missed you so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, me I messed up. Um, I made some mistakes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was not my intended joke. Um, let me try that again. Let me try another one. Okay, here we go. Uh, your mama is so stupid. And that's the end of that one. I'm sorry. I messed up. Oh, boy. All right, don't go. <laughs> so, uh, don't forget to tip your waitress. Uh, I'm your waitress. I work here. Help. <laughs> that one gets um, some people a little sad. <laughs> Sorry. It's really okay. Here, I'll try another one uh, just to clean your palate. Uh, this is my impression of Jennifer Aniston giving uh, directions. So you have to, you know, somebody, you know. Uh, excuse me, uh, do you know how to get to the Pacific Ocean? Well, you know, I mean, 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 didn't help me. Emily Maya Mills from her 2016 debut, Buy a Thread. For tour dates and more, check out Emily's website, emilymayamills.com. It's Bullseye's end-of-year comedy special. I'm Jesse Thorne. 
We're playing bits from 2016's best stand-up comedy albums. And for the second year in a row, the great Kyle Kinane has made the list. Probably seen Kyle on Comedy Central. His first stand-up special there aired back in 2011. He's been on Drunk History, on At Midnight, and more. He's actually the voice of Comedy Central. He toured a lot in the last year, and on his latest album, Loose in Chicago, he takes the weirdness of traveling abroad head-on. Uh, I've been out a lot. I was in um, Edinburgh, Scotland for a month last year doing shows. It was, it was a fine time. I said the whitest thing I've ever said in my life in Edinburgh. Uh, not anything terrible, but just white. Just white. Sometimes you're like, you know, sometimes you're like, you're hyper aware of like, whoa, that was white. <laughs> uh, like where you even have to step back after something comes out of your mouth, like, oh, mmm. <laughs> this tuna salad is pretty good, but it could use a little bit more mayonnaise, Barbara. Uh. Oh, you were more well-rounded than that, dude. Come on, man. A karaoke birthday party on a Monday. You're crazy for this one, Timothy. Hey. <laughs> but then once in a while, you just top yourself. That's what happened to me in Edinburgh. I think the exact phrase I used in Edinburgh, I was like, I can't believe this castle doesn't have Wi-Fi. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not getting whiter than that, dude. That's it. You complained about brand new white inside a real old white You just made a honky turducken is what you did. All right. <laughs> and, and I went, I went from there, I went down to, uh, I went down to London and uh, I went on the Jack the Ripper tour in London because that's what I do still. Like I should grow up, but that's the stuff I'm into. And it's a big deal there, like there's still big advertisements, like, you gotta go on this Jack the Ripper tour. And it's from the 1800s, but that's still their big uh, tour thing. Go on the Jack the Ripper tour. And you sign up for a tour, and there's so many tours. There's, like, competing tours, and they're cutting each other off in the street. There's so, it's so popular. And you sign up, and you get assigned a tour guide who's just a decrepit little English man. And, you know, he's got, like, and he's dressed in the period. He's got a top hat and a cloak, and he's using the scariest British voice, or maybe just his British voice, because it's hard to tell with the old ones. The old ones always sound like they're just dooming you no matter what, you know? What time is it? Uh, 7.30. <laughs> right. he's, he's leading us around the city on this tour, and the tour is interesting, but it's hard to focus on because you're still in a modern city, so he's trying to put you in the time period that this all happened, and he'll stop you on some part of the street where he's like, and here, one of the victims was found dissected with medical precision, but you're still in front of a KFC. It's kind of like, eh. <laughs> It's hard to focus. Like, not dissect a family medical precision. <laughs> this tour's boring <laughs> But then we get to the end of it. We get to the big finale, and he's got everybody gathered around, and this is this big climax moment of the tour, and he's got everybody there, and this is where he just sends it home. And he's got everybody goes, and it's believed that in total, Jack the Ripper may have killed up to five victims. <laughs> Now, I know that this is a weird time to get welled up with national pride. 
But I had to turn to my friend. I was like, did he say five? We've been rolling our ankles on cobblestone for three hours? For five? We paid 60 pounds. I don't even know how much that is in real money. For five? And I got real USA. I was like, I'm from America, baby. We got somebody killing five people right now. And we don't give them walking tours, neither. You have a walking tour for everybody that killed five people in this country. The whole 48 lower states would just look like half-price tickets at Disneyland. That's what it just looked like. Wisconsin alone would have so many people and they'd be tipping off into the lake. You kill five people, you could defend yourself in court after killing five people and get off with like just like a warning. That's where we're at. You could be like, all right, yeah, I know what happened, Your Honor, but listen, you know how they say McDonald's has breakfast all day? Yeah, and then you get your hopes up, but then they can still run out of that and that's what they don't tell you when you're trying to have an Egg McMuffin for dinner and like, we're out of Canadian bacon. Sure, I got a little out of hand. I got a little, I got a little out of hand. The judge is like, rough weekend, I understand. We all have it. We all have it. We all have it. It's a rough weekend. You kill one person on an accident in America, you don't even get arrested anymore. They make you a cop. That's what happens. I don't want to be a police officer. It doesn't matter. You pass the test. You're qualified. Welcome to the force. Kyle Kinane, one of the funniest dudes out there, from his 2016 album, Loose in Chicago. To see Kyle live, and man, he's great live, check out his website, kylekinane.com. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to Bullseye's Best Comedy of the Year special. Our next comic, Brandy Posey. Brandy is a comedian based here in Los Angeles. She's from Annapolis, Maryland. And her act, she talks a lot about heavy stuff mental health, going to therapy, the existential crisis inherent in being a millennial. She's also the co-host of a MaximumFun.org podcast, Lady to Lady, alongside the very funny Babs Gray and Tess Barker. Anyway, here's Brandy Posey from her 2016 album, Opinion Cave. Does anybody here hate their day job? Anybody here hate the thing that pays the bills? Yeah, they're the worst. Uh, I have one because, unfortunately, comedy doesn't cover everything yet. fine uh, but what I what I do doesn't actually matter because what I think what my company is really doing is producing midlife crises and 30 somethings like that's their secret business plan they decided just to like give up on solar and now they're just powering the grid with the ennui of millennials like that's that's what's happening instead every time I'm sitting there I'm just like what am I doing with my life the lights stay on for five more years <laughs> I was working on something a few months ago, and this girl a couple cubicles down from me was also working, and she stopped, and then she pushed herself out into the aisle, and she just went, somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> and then she stopped, realized what she had just done, and then pulled herself back into her cube. <laughs> That is the darkest thing that I have ever seen. Oh, my. 
my God, you guys. That song is about realizing that your life is all black and white and you gotta get some color up in this She got one line of it out. And then she was just like, no. <laughs> the colors of my rainbow will be the ones in the Excel sheets that mean nothing. <laughs> Microsoft Excel. Uh, I've been there for a while, and a couple of years ago, six of the women that I work with all got pregnant at the exact same time, which is real rough. It was a real intense thing to deal with for a while. And I'm not one of those people that thinks if you have a baby, your life is over. I don't think that's true, but I do think there are like two kinds of people that have children, the kinds of people that have like thought about it and have decided to give their kid a better life than their parents gave them. God bless you. You have as many kids as you want. You're how we get to Star Trek instead of idiocracy. <laughs> I just want a holodeck. Plan your babies. <laughs> I should have known that a holodeck joke would have worked well on a comic book show. <laughs> the other kind of people, though, are the people that I work with uh, that have a baby so they can just trap something into loving them for the rest of their lives. Just like, I don't want to work on myself anymore. I'll just make a baby and hide behind it on Facebook like the saddest Benjamin Button remake that you've ever seen. <laughs> Your friends turn into children. And you're like, what happened, man? We graduated together. This sucks. That's who I work with. And it's a bummer because they had this baby shower during office hours, which is for a couple of reasons, you guys. Um, number one, I'm not friends with anybody that I work with because a couple of years ago, I was making a bunch of copies. And one of my bosses came up to me and he was like, careful, you're going to break that copy machine. And me, being a comedian, I was like, it's okay. A copy machine killed my family. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Take it for your own offices. It's so funny. But be careful because for the next six months, that guy came up to me at least once a week and would be like, hey, watch out for those copy machines. They're coming for you. <laughs> So no, I'm not friends with anybody that I work with. <laughs> I also have this thing that gets me through the week called Chipotle Thursdays. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has a barbacoa burrito bowl with sour cream and guac, because I don't give a f <laughs> Yes. Just get you over the hump into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you just do it all again until you die. <laughs> That's the American dream, right? <laughs> just make enough money to somehow make it pass. <sighs> So they had this baby shower on a Thursday. So I go to it, don't get my burrito bowl, go. They have this giant buffet of food set up that nobody wanted to touch. So guys, I'm quitting my day job and I'm quitting comedy. And I'm starting my own business where you can hire me and I will come and be the first person to eat at your public function. <laughs> I'm going to show up and be like, oh my God, guys, your food guild. How many Doritos are at this party? Only two. Don't worry, I brought a third and a fanny pack. Yeah. And then just mix them all up and just start popping them into my mouth, Russian roulette style, because it's all poison. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll then take regular and double stuff Oreos apart, make a tiny little white ivory tower of diabetes. Just unhinge my jaw like a boa constrictor and shove them all inside at once. Never mentioning a diet that I've gone off of for the night, because sometimes this is what a woman looks like, and how about we all just get the f over it? couple of claps everyone else is like but what if you just did some burpees <laughs> look you guys i am nothing if not a carby girl in a barbie world <laughs> just that's just who i am it's cool
Brandy Posey from her album Opinion Cave. If you want to catch her live, there's show dates on her website. Just go to brandyposey.com and do check out her podcast, Lady to Lady. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're wrapping up our 2016 end of the year best comedy special with one last comedian, Josh Gondelman. Josh writes on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And if you've heard about Seinfeld Today, that Twitter account that comes up with contemporary Seinfeld stories, that's also Josh. Here he is on his album, Physical Whisper, Josh Gondelman. I've been, I've been traveling a bunch lately. I was just in London for three days, which is five days American, six Canadian. And... <laughs> London is a huge metropolitan city, but in a lot of ways, after living in New York, it felt kind of quaint and old-timey. For example, in London, there are signs in all their subway stations warning you not to get too close to the edge of the platform. They say, mind the gap, right? Very charming little logo, tourists buy it on T-shirts. In New York City, for contrast, in all our subway stations, there are signs that say, in 2012, 141 people were struck by trains. 55 were killed. That's not even a warning. There's nothing in there telling you how to behave around trains. That's just New York as a city boasting about how lethal its public transit is. New York City, deadliest trains on the planet. They're like cobras on steel tracks. But there's just this pervasive aggression in the city that I wasn't good at handling until I had a moment on the subway that really helped me feel like I belonged in the city. I was coming home from a night on the town with my girlfriend at the time, and we get on the train, and there's a homeless man asleep standing up like a horse, which... (laughs) That wasn't the whole thing. I wasn't like, I'm home, and then just fell asleep next to him, and that was that. We're getting on the train, and I mention 19th century German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck. Because I know how to seal the deal. (laughs) And as I mention Otto von Bismarck, the homeless gentleman woke up, and he stared me right in the eyes like we were in a two-man debate competition, and my turn was up. And he spoke to me, right? He addressed me, and the... A voice I expected him to have was the standard homeless gentleman voice, like Tom Waits on his Tom Waitsiest day. <laughs> but that wasn't it. He had this beautiful, rich baritone. And when he spoke, this is what he said verbatim. He said this. He goes, There were no chancellors in those days. Otto von Bismarck was the king of Germany. He unified the Germanic people, but he scattered Africa. That was the legacy of Otto von Bismarck. <laughs> And then he fell back to sleep standing up. Like Abraham Lincoln at Disney World's Hall of Presidents. <laughs> Leaving me to wonder, is that what he says to everyone that gets on the train? And we just happened to bring up the thing he was going to talk about anyway? I did not have to worry. My girlfriend woke him up to ask a follow-up question, which until that point was the thing I thought she only did to me. (laughs) 
she's like, how did you have that knowledge on the tip of your tongue waking up from a dead sleep like that? Like, what is your experience that brought you here? And he said, I studied in England. I studied in France. I was a professor here at Monroe College in the Bronx. But now, look at me. Here I am, homeless and an alcoholic, asleep on this train with my two ladies. And we look around, and there's no one else on the train. Then he opens his jacket, and he has Jack Daniels on one side, Johnny Walker on the other, which to me didn't look like ladies, but gender's not binary. It's a spectrum, so... Who am I to choose? Then he fell back to sleep, as if to suggest gently, hey, this is where I do this. Please leave me alone. My girlfriend woke him up a second time to ask a last question. She said, what was it like living in Europe? <laughs> like he just got back from a semester abroad <laughs> and was writing a very open-ended independent study paper. <laughs> and he answered her incredibly graciously. He said, it was better there. There was healthcare for everyone. Here, if I'm sick, who knows what happens to me? But there, I see a doctor immediately. I thought that was such a, an interesting, thoughtful answer that I would not have expected. And we got off the train and had to transfer. And I was like, wow, this guy really gave us something that I hadn't anticipated. And it was really um, amazing. I was in awe of his perspective and how much we'd counted him out because of his station in society. We got on a second train. Uh, there's a tiny little boy, about six years old, and his mother. And they're sitting, they're very, he's very cute, very cute kid, big round cheeks. And his hat was the face of Bert from Sesame Street. <laughs> Very charming. And I said to him, uh, hey, great hat. And he looked at his mom like, can I talk to the stranger? And she nods like, yeah, this cracker's probably not any trouble. And <laughs> he said, thank you. And I said, you're welcome. And he now is emboldened because I asked him a question. So he looks at me and my girlfriend and goes, are you two the brother and the sister? And I was like, no. And then he said, why not? <laughs> Which is a question I'd never had to answer before. <laughs> Certainly not in a family-friendly way, right? Because my, my first impulse was just to be like, nah, dog, I smashed that on the regular, pound it, son. <laughs> but that can't be his sex talk. <laughs> so I say to him, because we have a different mom and dad, and he, that was enough for him and the the train stops and we get off and then he, the little boy and his mom get off and he said this is our stop too perhaps I will see you tomorrow <laughs> and I said yeah man maybe because when you're like a 30 year old dude with almost a beard <laughs> you can't make plans to hang out with the little kid you just met on the subway <laughs> that's not a play date that is textbook Amber Alert <laughs> But I was still, like, really warmed by his humor and his uh, curiosity, right? And we went back to my apartment, and I said to my girlfriend, I was like, man, we had this incredible evening, right, where we met this man whose perspective really kind of blew my mind and w was not what I would thought it would be. And then we met this little kid who had such a, an intense fascination with the world and just wanted to soak it all up. And I thought that that represented kind of the entire spectrum of human possibility and potential and I thought that was really wonderful and lovely and I said again out loud to my girlfriend I said I need to be a better citizen of this world <laughs> like I was in a commercial for the gap doing a fundraiser for HIV awareness or something <laughs> 
And I said that, and I turned on my laptop, and I looked up Otto von Bismarck, and the first thing I saw was he was the <laughs> chancellor the entire time. <laughs> that dick didn't know what he was talking about. At that point, I didn't know who I could trust. I was like, that kid probably wasn't even a kid. He was probably a 46-year-old Dominican dwarf who likes to punk out white people on the subway. So what I really learned wasn't the value of a diversity and breadth of experiences. It's be glad you didn't go to Monroe College in the Bronx because their faculty is made up of lying drifters. It was the wrong lesson, but I learned it. Josh Gondelman from his debut album, Physical Whisper. Josh has a handful of tour dates coming up. You can find out more about those at joshgondelman.com. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. I want to thank all of the stand-up comics we used in this week's episode. We'll have links to their websites, all of their websites, on our website. Go to MaximumFun.org and navigate to Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer's Kevin Ferguson. He got tons of help this week from Christian Duenas and our production fellow, Kara Hart. They listened to so many albums. Thanks to all of them. Senior producer at Maximum Fun is Laura Swisher. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Our theme music was recorded by the Go Team and provided to us by Light in the Attic Records, their label, thanks to them. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, all of them are free. Just go to MaximumFun.org. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 